from Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 202 for July 16th, 2018. I am your host, Jason Snell, and not Mike Hurley, who is not here. He is on assignment, and his assignment was to go on his honeymoon. We assigned that as a collective. <laughs> we said, it's no more podcasting for you. Go on your honeymoon. And so our special guest to replace Mike, well, who could replace Mike? To succeed Mike for one week only, it is, of course, another co-founder of relay why not steven hackett hello yeah just uh you close your eyes and squint we're basically the same person we both have beards yeah i mean really if you're face blind but not beard blind then yeah. you're like basically the same person as far we as we both concerned. co-founded podcast networks you both you both have um uh <laughs> i was gonna make an accent joke but i don't really know what that would be we both, you both have, have american accents, accents. <laughs> oh. um yeah oh, by the way because mike likes to do this even though i never do it this episode of upgrade is brought to you by mail route pingdom and anchor anyway I, did, I i said that like how mike says it uh we are here it is the summer of fun what is more fun than having a co-host who is a surprise like Stephen hackett so welcome Stephen, to the summer of fun it's it's bright in here i really you said it and all the lights got brighter mm-hmm. and someone handed me a drink with a fancy straw did so you hear there's a little ukulele playing in the background yeah. well, i've got a good microphone so i can hear it but you can't hear it but mm-hmm. it's here that's the best kind that's the best coming you know um when my uh, my wife was growing up her dad uh when they took family car trips would say um we can listen to the radio but it needs to be the volume needs to be so le- turned so d- far down that um you can hear it and i can't which I always was like, that's first off, that's impossible and also kind of mean. But anyway, that's that's how the uh, ukulele music is t- tuned in your house. It's just it's it's just loud enough that you can hear it, but we can't. Jason, Jason, no one cares about ukulele music. No, not even Don no. Ho. We have a snail talk question. Oh, good! I'm excited. This I'm excited. is from Mark. Mark writes: If you had a boat, what would you name it? <laughs> Oh, I think this may be the dumbest Snell Talk question ever. Or the best. Mm. Well, I don't have a boat. But it. Well, but you know how, yeah, right. How, like boats have ridiculous pun right. names on the background. I have not, I, I, it would take time. I would need to workshop a bunch of stuff, I mm. think. Um, I, let's call it professional podcasters. Ooh, that's good. That's good. That's let's just well, I'll throw it in there for now. That'll be my placeholder name. I'll come up with a better boat name probably between now and when I buy a boat, which is never. I but, never know. But thank you, know. you, Mark, for the ridiculous hashtag Snell Talk <laughs> question. You can send your own hashtag Snell Talk questions in by tweeting with hashtag Snell Talk into the void. But the hashtag means they won't be into the void. They will instead appear in a spreadsheet that is accessible by mike and and also apparently steven and <laughs> then they get read to me it's a it's a continuing ongoing experiment where i am the subject uh we got a little follow-up uh my follow-up is what time zone are you in right now steven and i don't mean memphis time i mean where is your body time right now because you and i recently went very far away yes and um for me it was uh, on the way out it was nine hours forward and then coming back it was eight hours back because i made a a time change in the middle of my trip um so how are you doing i'm great so i don't know what happened i go to the west coast you know for work and i'm destroyed i go to london which is many more time zones away and 
I had basically very little adjustment to do when I got there and even less adjustment to do when I got back. I'm totally fine. Wow. I don't know how I have this superpower. It's the world's worst superpower, but I have it. Uh, I seem to be impervious to jet lag on this trip. That's amazing. That's amazing. How lucky for you. I don't know. Uh, it's all the vitamins, I, I think. This is and brutal. the ukulele music. This is brutal for me. This was, this was, this was a hard one. I think, I think two weeks in that time zone um, made it harder. I think part of it might also be like, oftentimes when I make these international trips, it's just me. And this time it was my whole family. And I think that I suspect that my family like helps me adjust because they're all on Pacific time schedule and then I'm jet lagged. And so they're all getting up at at seven in the morning or whatever and 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 going to bed at uh, 11 o'clock or whatever and and, and i i kind of get into sync with that but we were all jet lagged this time and mm. it's summer so the kids are not they don't need to get up my wife is also jet lagged so it uh that may i think that made it harder for me um i feel like i've kind of gotten it back now but it's been a week i got we got back a, a week ago uh today so it was, but it was, I, I had a lot of 5am wake ups, <laughs> mm. um, which I don't, I don't recommend in the middle of summer to wake up and it's still dark and you get up anyway. Mm-mm, no, it's no, good. it's, it's no good. And, uh, and a lot of, a lot of falling asleep at, at like nine or like eight thirty, or <laughs> where it's like, no, 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 gotta stay awake. Gotta stay awake. But, uh, yeah, so that, that was, uh, that was tough, but, uh, it was a great trip. We had a great time. So you and your wife went and you left the kids behind. And how, how many we days were you there? Uh, we were there for seven. So we did Tuesday through Tuesday mm. and spoke on the, this on Analog, which you can listen to in a couple of days, but longest trip we've ever taken together, longer than our honeymoon. Uh, and it was really great. I'm really bad at vacation. I did basically just one morning's worth of work for an entire week, which felt great. Yeah. That was, uh, you paid all of us. Thank you. I paid all of you. So uh, I figured a lot of really people on vacation. I'm on vacation. I'd like to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> so we did that. You spend the money. Um, get get some yeah. more money to spend. Yeah. That's sure. right. Um, You're, you are sp- bad at vacation if seven days away is longer than your honeymoon. Yeah. Well, we got married in college. And we yeah, had like I'm, no money. Mm-hmm. And I, I, could take, I could take four days off from the Apple store. So I guess I'll take four days off from the Apple store. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's we're in a different time and era of life now. Yeah, it was really good. And it was a lot of fun to see a bunch of people and to meet people, significant others. Um, you know, Jason, we have met each other's families, but that's not true for everybody who was there right. from like the podcast world. So like, it was really great to spend time with other people's significant others and their partners. And it was just a lot of fun. And, um, London was a lot of fun. I had not been, uh, to England before, which seems shocking to some people, but I haven't been. And, um, that was, that was great. And I think, Mike and I may start to trade off. Uh, I think people know in August, most years we kind of have a retreat, and I think we may start trading off, and maybe I'll go over some. I think especially ah. you know, once they get settled into family life a little bit more. That's a great um, way to get yourself some trips to London. Yeah, <laughs> is to say, no, let's do it both ways, Mike. Let's. Uh, and he may say, no, 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 Stephen, no, no. Uh, maybe you can settle on like every six months, <laughs> just trading yeah. off, because you guys both need your uh, international international trips it's it's a lot of fun i didn't make an international trip well i didn't leave north america until i was almost 30 wow Um, but the last 15 or so years have been full of 
uh, international trips. And they're great. They're a lot of fun. And my kids actually manage to, I think, have a good time, especially my daughter, who's 16. I think she ended up having a good time. Um, and that was my concern. Like, we were building the trip trying to include things that they would be interested in and not just boring right. things like looking at paintings. Yeah. Um, because that was the, I think, I don't know if I mentioned this last week on this show, but I mentioned it somewhere that, that at the Rijksmuseum in, in Amsterdam, they were so bored of looking at, you know, amazing Dutch masters paintings, but they were so bored at that point that they were like counting the number of cats that they could find in various paintings, <laughs> which is actually a pretty good, pretty good way yeah. to pass the time. That would be a fun scavenger hunt, but I mean, they, they, were, I had they that, were so bored. I had that moment with my spouse. We're in the science museum and they have a computer collection and I was just like taking notes and like, well, they have this, but I have that too. Or they don't have this, but I have one of those. And uh, Mary was like, I'm going to go. Over yeah. <laughs> I'm going to let now. you you be alone with your computers now. Yeah. <laughs> for a little while, as it is so often. Yeah. Um, I have a mini topic before Ooh. we get to the rest of the show that I wanted to mention. Something that happened last week, which is, uh, uh, it's kind of follow-up, kind of mini-topic, because we've been talking about it on Upgrade for a while now, and it finally happened, which is that Sonos released their software update that Yay! gives, I want to say all their speakers, but it's really not all their speakers. It's like four of their speakers. Uh, AirPlay 2. And so it's the Play 5, the Sonos 1, the Play Bar and the new one whose name escapes me the brand new yes. one they announced but it's it's a relatively recent collection and it's the it's the second generation play 5 so it's a relatively recent collection of of devices not the play 1 the Sonos one, the one with the uh, Amazon Assistant in it. Their um, names are so bad. I have a I have a Play one, and uh, yeah, it's it's they've got colons too. I should call it like it's the Play colon one and the Play mm. colon five that I have. Uh, that really rolls off the tongue. Beautiful names. Um, so anyway, I, I do have that Play five. So I updated the software, and uh, AirPlay two is really good. Like I know it took a long time for them to get it, but I'm really impressed with how well it works. And the thing, because I've got a couple of HomePods, the the thing that impressed me the most about it is that, you know, a Sonos speaker running AirPlay 2 is a peer to other AirPlay 2 speakers. So I was able to connect the Play 5 and the, the paired HomePods, and they played music in perfect sync. I could play music on the HomePods and then say also, I could say, hey, lady, hey, canister, also play this in the garage, and boop, the sound just began coming out of the sonos play 5 in the garage just flawless just yeah it's really fast it's like the dream it, right yeah yeah and it, and it's super fast unlike airplay which has got that two second buffer it all feels oh gosh, very yeah. instantaneous and that buffer was just long enough for you to think that it was broken right like you go hit you hit the button again and then you, it plays for a split second and then pauses which is always fun you can too i believe if you have one of these quote modern Sonos devices, and you have a bunch of older ones too. That that new one can act like a bridge to the other ones. Yeah, and that, that is an amazing feature. It, it requires really you to cool. fiddle around with the Sonos app, but people were asking about this, and because they they couldn't wrap their mind around it when I wrote about it. But it's uh, so my Play One that isn't compatible. If I go into the Sonos app and select the Play Five and say Group, and add the Play One to the Play Five's group. At that point, everything that plays on the Play 5 plays on the Play 1, including all the AirPlay stuff. 
So if I say, that does mean that if I say to my HomePods, play this in the garage, it will also play it in the bathroom where the Play One is, right? Because they're they're linked. But if you want to chain every device, including non-compatible Sonos devices, compatible Sonos devices, and other AirPlay 2 devices into one big, you know, whole home thing, you can totally do it. Um, and then somebody was asking about volume. And yeah, those two volumes, if you try to adjust volume on those uh, Sonos speakers from the AirPlay side, they go together. But if you open the Sonos app, you can then adjust them individually. So it's not Ooh. perfect, but... I feel like it's way more than you would expect from that feature. I I would expect that the other Sonos things just when it's AirPlay two, forget about them. They they don't exist anymore, and that's not how they built right. it. They they all work together, um, sort of as a linked single AirPlay two speaker using the Sonos. You know, in the background, obviously Sonos is doing Sonos things to connect those other speakers, but they've got that all built in. Um, so I was pretty impressed. It's a uh, uh, it's a it's a cool feature, and and I'm impressed by AirPlay two as long as it took <laughs> to get it. Um, I think they. I think it is good, and Sonos did a good job of supporting it on the devices that they were... Apparently, there's enough hardware, like, uh, processing power going on here that a bunch of their devices are just not powerful enough to do it, which is too bad. It also means that that Sonos One at 199 is um you know pretty compelling <laughs> yeah i mean it's a pretty it, it's a pretty good deal it, it doesn't sound as good as the home pod but it's way cheaper than the home pod so yeah yeah and, and sonos continues to be a brand that is trying to work with everybody else right which i think is very admirable there there's amazon stuff there's apple stuff they're the only non-apple speaker that has like apple music sort of yeah. baked in you can't what, what i keep thinking that it would be great but i think i think the siri apis don't let them do this it would be great if i could use a a siri command to tell a sonos speaker to play music from apple music and have it just do it natively instead of from my phone or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and it doesn't do that but it does mean this this airplay 2 thing means that i can use my phone or whatever my siri devices to say play this song or play this album on that sonos speaker and it'll do it what it's doing is it's playing it in apple music and then using airplay 2 to stream it to that speaker but it but it does work the one caveat, if you if you haven't tried this yet and are thinking of setting it up, if you have a Sonos speaker, is you do have to add it in the home app, which is a weird process where you add an item to the home app and it says, what do you want to add? And you're like, an accessory. Right. And then it says, okay, scan in the barcode. And it's like, no, there, there isn't one of those. You have to say, I don't have a barcode. And then it brings you to this thing that's like the complicated setup wizard. But the funny thing is... Um, in that screen, the Sonos speaker is just sitting there like, oh, I found this. Is this what you mean? It's like, yes. Yes, home app. That is what I mean. And then once it's added, um, it works pretty well. There is a weird quirk that made me laugh, which is Sonos cautions you to not change the name of your speaker in uh, to be different. <laughs> so, like, don't give it a different name in the home app than you give it in the Sonos app, because apparently that means something, <laughs> and that gets really confusing. But, uh, but after I added it, it, it worked pretty great. So, I, I, I'm impressed. Cool. I'm glad to hear it's working well. Yeah, yeah. So that's a nice, good job, good job, everybody. <laughs> we got we got audio in more places, and that that makes me happy. Um, we got a lot to talk about this week. We got a lot of topics, but we, uh, we also have sponsors, so I should probably take care of our friends at MailRoute. This episode brought to you by MailRoute, the leaders in email protection. I use them. 
Um, they are the people you should use to handle your email security and delivery. They specialize in this. They are they only do this. In 1997, their founder, Thomas Johnson, turned this solving this problem into a whole industry. He was working as an IT consultant. He was giving away free email boxes with hosted domains. Right away, he saw that he spent all his time managing the free mailboxes to filter out spam and viruses. And he came to the conclusion that if he didn't solve this problem, he would be personally managing those mailboxes for the rest of his life. And so he created hosted email protection. MailRoute's team has continued to focus on the safe delivery of your clean email since 97, continues to this day. MailRoute solves problems and saves money for IT departments because they understand email as the lifeline of your business. It protects your email from spam and viruses and guarantees mail access during outages. That's it. That's all they do. They do it better and have been doing it longer than anyone else. I have been using MailRoute for quite a while now. Um, I used to run an email server at my house, and what I found is that it, it basically filled my internet connection with not with delivering the mail, but with the spammer servers connecting to my server and making Mm. attempts to send me mail and that is a huge burden on an email server so guess what MailRoute takes that burden MailRoute is the one who gets that stuff and it will reject the bad uh the bad connections and then if it does accept something and it looks like spam it files it away somewhere where you don't see it Um, one of the things i really like about MailRoute is that they send me a daily It doesn't have to be daily, but I asked for a daily uh, summary of what it's filtered out. So if there is something that got filtered out of spam that turns out not to be spam, with one click, I can not only deliver that message to my inbox, but then whitelist the sender so it never gets filtered again, which means over time, you find yourself getting false negatives a lot less often because you've whitelisted the people you know are real. Um, It also lets me keep up on the wackiest trends in spam subject lines. And this week's wacky spam subject line that I got literally the other day is, need a sign this Sunday? No problem. No problem. We can get you a sign. That, Just click this link. It seems awfully specific. Is, is it like, uh, do people need signs on Sundays? Is Sunday sign day in parts of the world? Is that a, or is it like for football season, you need a sign to say go team? Um, I don't know, but that was a real life spam that I got. No problem. All capital letters. That's, that's the good news. If you do need a sign this Sunday, it's not going to be a problem. Anyway, spam is a problem. You should stop it today with a 30-day free trial. Good Lord. Uh, go to MailRoute.net and use the promo code UPGRADE and you'll get a free 30-day trial and 10% off the lifetime of your account with MailRoute. Not, not your first bill. The lifetime of your account. Thank you to MailRoute for filtering out my spam in my email and supporting this show and all of Relay FM. New MacBook Pros <laughs> happened. Yeah. Surprise! There was a question. You and I were going back and forth on this, and I was talking to Mike about it. Part of this, the calculation of the summer of fun is uh, we, we pre-taped a couple of episodes. It's like, when, when do they get deployed? And what I said to Mike was, well, if there's no news... The week after we record, before you go on your honeymoon, maybe I'll drop the pre-recorded episode then because there'll be nothing to talk about. <laughs> um, that didn't get that plan didn't go very far because last week uh, Apple released new MacBook Pros and they called a bunch of people to New York City 
where they could where they were greeted by media professionals who were doing this seems to be a new trend in apple's uh rollouts because they did this with the imac pro too it's like pro products they they have you meet with people who are professionals who are using the technology to tell you why they're using it and so they're being much more aggressive in building this this narrative uh about like big time professionals use these tools and here's why they love them which is an interesting like very active marketing technique that maybe apple didn't use in the past where they're like yay there are laptops now they seem to be much more kind of intense about this professional tool story um and i have some theories about why (laughs) including the fact that i feel like apple is actually trying very hard to impress on people the idea that these products should be judged as professional products and not as consumer products Mm. i'm getting a real i I, i'm curious what you think i'm getting a real vibe i was walking the dog yesterday and i had this thought popped into my head which is you know apple's doing with the macbook pro what they did with the mac pro um which is if you think about the power mac era especially there was a time when pro systems meant anybody who wasn't a base level consumer and over time on the desktop side pro you know i used to only buy power macs (laughs) and i i stopped and started buying imacs and one of the reasons was pro went from being sort of all of the market except the low end to being only the high end of the market and I feel like that's what they're doing with the MacBook Pro is that they really and the iMac Pro. They really want to make it clear like the reason that this thing costs so much is because they have packed it with lots of expensive technology for people who really, really need it. And it's yeah. not for everyone. And that that is the kind of like implication, I feel like, of these dog and pony shows where they bring out all the professional video editors and and music video directors and things like that. Yeah, I think there's something to that. I would feel better about that if they had a consumer notebook that made any sense, but they don't. Um, yeah, not yet. Although it, it does feel like that's the other shoe to drop, right? And that there may just be some Intel processors that need to ship <laughs> for that. Because the, the whole because the, the MacBook Escape, right? Like which which is really not a MacBook Pro, and I'm I'm no. now wondering if that product is going to disappear or become something else because because that's the other part of the story right is like okay apple if you're saying these are pro systems they're really only for pros what's the consumer laptops or what's the rest of market laptop story yeah i think that's a, a totally fair question because it does feel like there's this there's this gap there and and apple has like three machines down there they have the air they have the one port macbook they have the two port macbook pro and it's like there's a lot of overlap there and only one of them it really hits like the the sort of magic price of a thousand dollars and that one is several years old yeah but and is like increasingly out of sync with the rest of the lineup and so yeah i agree with you i think something's going on there uh, i do think there's something to the idea that apple is trying to define these machines as pro machines like you said we saw it with the imac pro I am sure when the Mac Pro shows up next year, we're going to see this again, where it's like, look at all these top data scientists doing their things on this new uh, computer totally, we built. Totally. And, and, and developers and, again, video pros and anybody who's doing incredibly intense high-end work, because then it sets the context, right? Like when I got my iMac Pro, I basically, I never got, I never got a briefing about the iMac Pro. And I talked mm-hmm. to my editor, Roman, at, at Macworld, and he got a briefing. And I said, well, I got my iMac Pro. And he said, we didn't even get one for review. They're not available. 
And I said, well, I could review it. And he said, sure. So I contacted Apple and I said, okay, just so you know, my, my contacts at Apple, I know you didn't give me one to review, but I've got one and I'm going to review yeah. it. And I got this, uh, I got the sense back that it was like, well, great. We know who you are. That's good. But there was also like a worry of like, but wait, 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 <laughs> we have this whole plan about only seating certain people and telling this whole story about the high end. And I ended up having to reassure them, which they, they got. It was fine. And my, my review got, it's the only thing I've written, I think, that has been retweeted by Phil Schiller, right? So uh, it worked in the end. But I had to kind of reassure them, like, you guys know that I don't just write articles. I I do I do audio production and some video production and I use high end audio plugins that, that swamp every single core I can throw at it to do denoising on noisy podcast tracks. And they're like, okay, all right. And I'm using logic and final cut pro. And they're like, all right, all right, we're okay with it. But they were like really nervous about it because it is outside. They don't want, I mean, it really, it seems like they don't want people thinking, Oh, my kid is going off to college. I'm going to buy them a six core, 15 inch MacBook pro. Like they don't, they don't want people thinking that, which is good because you look at the price tag and you're like, nah, you probably shouldn't buy that for your kid going off to college. It's probably overkill for them. Of course, there's nothing else right now. I mean, that, that is the other side of right. this. But, um, but as I these, still tell people to buy the air. I mean, I get the same yeah. thing you get, right? You talked to us on the show of like, you get friends like, what should I buy my kid? And like, my answer is most of the time is the air because yeah. I mean, yes, it is older, but like you get a bunch of ports that work in the real world. I mean, all the reasons the air is still a valid machine and it's the price, right? That the, the MacBook and the escape both are what? $1,200, $1,300. I think it's $1,299. I think yeah. is the, is the price for those. The, um, yeah, so. I, I bought my daughter a refurbed, um, a refurbed MacBook. And so it was, I think 1199 or mm-hmm. something like that. It was, it was a little bit cheaper and she loves it. And I think it's, I think it's the perfect computer for her, but that before we dig in a little bit more to these laptops, I think it's worth at least saying again, there is another shoe that needs to drop here, which is yes. what is Apple story for the rest of the people who want to buy a Mac laptop? Because it is a mess, right? Like at least, at least the MacBook escape which for those who don't aren't in on the lingo, although I did laugh because The Verge referred to the MacBook Escape this week and said it's come to be how people in the community refer to that yeah. system, which I was like, well, that well that's, it's Marco. Marco. <laughs> um, the, but the MacBook Escape is the uh, 13-inch MacBook Pro without touch bar. It's, in other words, it has an escape key. <laughs> so that's why it's the MacBook Escape. I like it because it sounds like um, like a Journey album. <laughs> journey Escape, MacBook Escape. It's all don't stop believing is what I'm saying. So uh, yeah. um, the... The uh, the MacBook Escape, at least they lowered that price to twelve ninety nine last year, right? So it, it's the same price as the MacBook, but in the long run, like they've got two twelve ninety nine laptops at the base, and then this nine ninety nine legacy laptop that doesn't really make sense. It's got the old ports, it's got the low res screen, but it sticks around because it's under a thousand dollars, and the other ones are about three hundred dollars shy of that. So something's got to give there, right? Like I had this moment. Uh, of because this is this is what happens with me is I, I you know I, I think about this stuff at the strangest times so you know I'm mowing the lawn I'm walking the dog and I'm like oh wait what about that and I did have this thought yesterday which was um, that what if the MacBook Escape is the MacBook Air <laughs> which follow me here all these rumors about like oh there's going to be a new MacBook Air um, 
I, I wonder, and maybe they won't call it that, but I, I do wonder if that is the destination of that MacBook Escape, is that it's finally going to be what it probably should have been all along, except maybe because of the price, which is that's the other consumer laptop other than the super thin macbook and they find a way to drive its price down even more so that and 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 they have to give it a name right it can't be the macbook pro anymore so maybe it's the 13 inch macbook maybe that's the next macbook MacBook escape is it's actually called the 13 inch macbook and it's because because it is not particularly bigger or heavier than the air um and if they can get it down low enough in price they could get rid of the air because then it would serve the same purpose as the air or if they could get that down to 11.99 or 10.99 and they could get the macbook down to 9.99 that would be the other way to do it and i feel like that's i i think those are the scenarios that are at play here i i have a harder time believing they will actually release the macbook air with a you know with updated internals and a retina screen i i have a hard time imagining that happening now it's possible that they could just do a chip another chip swap and make it still float out there at 999 yeah. or even 799 something like that just to hold down the bottom end but but that macbook escape like I, I i sometimes i think that's kind of the key to solving this problem is like what where can that computer go because it doesn't need to be super thin and light it's got a couple of ports it's using the same processor family essentially as the macbook air uses except newer and it's got the retina screen. It's like, that's the one. That should be totally. your like core consumer laptop. Yeah, I think, I think that's totally right. I think they just haven't been able to price it there, either due to the expense of the machine or margins or whatever it is. But it, it, that, it just, and, and just, if you took all the price tags off the laptops and you covered up all the names, that's, I think, the, the product matrix you would build, right? Like if you had those laptops out on a table... You would say, oh, well, this Air is old, and this one-port thing is the cheapest one, and then this two-port one is kind of the, def- the default, and then you go up from there. Yeah. That's, that's what makes sense from a purely product perspective. And I, I think they'll get there, and I think that they've – I think Apple's clearly aware that the their low end of their line is messy, and I, I, I don't think Apple wants it that way. You know, I mean, I, I think – I think it's different in the in the world of iPhones where you have older products sticking around to hit price points. People understand that. That makes sense. That's the way the phone market works. But it's not so clear in notebooks, especially when the prices are only apart from, you know, $100, $200, $300. Right? We're not talking that the MacBook Air is $500 cheaper than the MacBook, right? It's only a couple hundred dollars cheaper. And they got to close that gap and they got to make it make sense again. And uh, I'm, I'm confident they will. I think we've seen from Apple over the last 24 to 36 months um, a real recommitment to the Mac in ways that, that we've talked about on all of our shows, right? The Mac Pro Roundtable, the iMac Pro, you mm-hmm. and I are both sitting in front of one. It's the best Macintosh I've ever owned, hands down. Yeah. Um, the MacBook Pro has been problematic, but they are, I think, with the, we'll get into the specifics of this generation, but they seem to be moving in the right direction. And just another step along that trail is clean up the consumer offering. Right. And so and, um, and the more I'm you, looking forward to talking about that. The more you push up the, the, the pro models, I mean, I feel like this is the clearest sign, and this is strange, and we will talk about the new pro models in a second, but like the pushing them up doing what they did to them to me and so you know it's four core and six core and 32 gigs of ram and all of that 
Um, and then not touching the touch bar or, or the non-touch bar version, the escape version. It's like, that's that moment where I was like, okay, you have literally made a space for your consumer strategy, which doesn't exist yet. Like, we can't see it yet. It's clearly, there's got to be that story. So I look forward to seeing that because that is the place where they're kind of in disarray right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the, the, the pros have more clarity. And this is their third crack at this generation, this body generation of MacBook Pros. And there is a lot, there is a lot in there, right? They, they, they increased cores. That was, I was listening to ATP and they were talking about how um, having your like sort of product line just get cores added to it doesn't happen that often. Like since the Intel transition that which is 12 years ago, we haven't seen something like this where it's just like, oh, yeah, all of those two cores are now four cores and all of those four cores are now six cores. But that's what mm-hmm. happened here because of this is the coffee lake and and that's Intel. But it's also like everybody gets who's using Intel chips gets the, that feature bump. So that's happening there. And you and I know having iMac Pros that, um, you know, more software, like I love software that's, it, it's not as much as as you would like, but the software that's multi-core aware um, is a beautiful thing. And pro software is where that happens, which is, again, why more cores matters for pro users more than it does for maybe anyone else. Yeah, we're clearly moving to a world where we're going to be more multi-core on our professional machines. I mean, you look at raw clock speeds that those increases have slowed down over time. And so a way to make computers faster is to sort of shift the model to, ha- you know, hey, the clock speed is going to be all very similar, but this machine's got four cores, and if an app really is built to take advantage of that, which a lot of pro apps are now, um, you know, everything from Logic and the Adobe Suite all the way down to something like Forecast by Marco Armo, yeah. which you and I both use every day, which is one of the few apps that really light up my iMac Pro and just really fill up all the cores. As we move into that world, both Intel and Apple are realizing that that's where they've got to be on the Pro end. And to our point earlier, it is a way to separate the Pro and the consumer offerings. You know, I'll be very curious to see. So these chipsets can go in the iMac, the 21.5 and the 27-inch Retina IMAX can use these chips. And I think we'll probably see quad core and six core IMAX. And that's going to bump it a little bit closer to the IMAX Pro. But I think even there, we're going to see it because this is going to be increasingly important. We're not going to see it in the MacBook. We're not going to see it if they, if they refresh the Mac Mini in the future. Those are still going to be lower core counts, I think. Definitely yeah. not six. Uh, to help separate them a little bit. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, the Mac Mini, if it ever comes back again, if there's a chip available that'll do more power and that they can do it as a build to order, I'm sure they'll do it like they did back in the day where they had the four core version. But um, it's not going to be the focus, right? And if like if if <laughs> if they have to make a decision about which um, which you know reference uh, logic board to use or you know which Intel chipset to use, and they're like, well, this one's cheaper and it only does two cores, they'll be like, fine, right? They're not gonna they're not gonna yeah. uh, make a decision like that in favor of the other one but I, right. I, one of the things that's really funny and people don't remember now the keyboard one of my frustrations about this is like look i'm a keyboard snob i am i really am i didn't used to be but i am i've got a bunch of mechanical keyboards i have opinions about keyboards i don't like 
the modern MacBook keyboards. I don't like them. I don't like the reduced travel. It bugs me. It feels every time I use one, it feels like I am basically just smack smashing my fingers down on squares and <laughs> letters come out. And it's like, look, that's a personal preference thing. But and and it's valid. Like if you hate that keyboard, literally other than the air, you can't buy a MacBook that doesn't have a keyboard you hate. And that's I I have issues with that. I think it's emblematic of this entire generation where Apple made some decisions that maybe um maybe were a little too extreme and they just have to live it down because it's a it's a hardware body generation and they're not going to redesign it for another year or two. Um but the reliability of those keyboards became a huge story. And again, we can debate how big is that issue. Apple says it's a very small percentage of people. Um, if you listen to, like, we all know people who either we either have been affected by it or we know people who've been affected by it, which makes you yep. think, hmm, eh, maybe a small percentage. How how small is small to you? 5%, 10%? I mean, it's not necessarily 0.01%. But regardless, that became the story about this generation of laptops is, oh, the keyboards. And I'll tell you, if you go back in time to, what, October of 16, when these came out, that was not the story. (laughs) In fact, the story then was, oh, there's a second generation, and they're they're more clicky, and they'll be okay. And people sort of, like, accepted in large part that they were, stylistically, that they were fine, right? It it was before the issues of them being, perhaps, uh, very breakable came up. What made the Pro users who rely on the MacBook Pro really angry in October of 16 was the RAM limit was the 16 gig RAM limit. And they're like, how can you sell professional laptops with a 16 gig RAM limit? That was the thing that people were howling about that. That was the number one complaint, not USB-C, not the keyboard among the real like high end pros about those systems. You know, I, I remember it very clearly. And I think this is one of those cases where you can see, and it took time, but you can see that Apple heard that, um, you know, Apple, I think got frustrated by Intel's limitations on that side. And in these models, you can, or on the 15 inch of this new version, the 2018 Apple built like a whole strange, like memory controller with high powered RAM so that the, mm-hmm. the, it is different from the ones found in the other machines and they had to have a bigger battery and all that stuff. But they did that so they could get 32 gigs of RAM in there. And that I, I think, I think it goes, you can draw a straight line back to October of 16 when everybody was complaining about it. And probably Apple already knew that it wasn't really acceptable, but it was what they were stuck with. And then they built yeah. like a workaround. So let's not forget this is this is in many ways this 15 inch directly addresses the biggest criticism from high end professionals of the MacBook Pro. Yeah, oh, I think even the 13 does to a degree. You can't do the 32 gigs of RAM in the 13, but for me, I prefer the 13 inch size. I currently have a 15, so I could have a quad core notebook. You know, I'm in the position where I'm in my studio most of the time using iMac Pro, but when I travel. I am editing and recording live audio and having as much horsepower as that is reasonable. I'm not going to buy a maxed out machine. I try to balance it a little bit, but having as much power as, re- as I can reasonably have on a notebook is important four weeks out of the year. And I understand that's a, a weird use case and that I'm in a privileged position. I can have two nice machines, but I've had a 15 because I want the quad core, but I, you know, I, I haven't, ordered anything i may i probably will wait a little while and kind of see how the how the how the chips fall but if these machines end up being you know sort of positively reviewed and the keyboard seem to be holding up that quad core 13 
is singing my name. And I think there are people who are just as excited about that as they are the six core 32 gig RAM, uh, 15 inch. Um, and you know, they increased the core count, but these machines are faster. Coffee Lake is uh, a faster platform than what was there before. So they are faster across the board, not just in like crazy multi-threaded situations. And, uh, you know, this is the third MacBook Pro we've had in about three years. You know, it's roughly three years. And uh, if Apple's, you know, saying, hey, this is going to be an annual cycle, if you don't like this one, then, like, you probably only have to wait, you know, anywhere between 9 and 15 months yeah. uh, for the new one. And that that predictability almost is more important to me than the specifics of any one of those updates because for so long – there was just unpredictability in when Apple may ship something. And it seems like they're getting onto some sort of schedule. It's not as fast as maybe some people would like it to be, but I will take predictable at this point. Yeah, we um, heard a lot of people, you know, kind of screaming bloody murder when <laughs> WWDC happened and there were no new laptops. Right? It's like, oh, no, no, it's awful. And they're envisioning like there now won't be until the fall or whatever. And this shows you, if, and there was already evidence, but it shows you again, Apple can release uh, products whenever they want. <laughs> they can call journalists to an embargoed something and r- release products and roll them out however they want. They can do, they can do it any time. And it, stepping back from that, as you pointed out, the first rev of the MacBook Pros came after like nine months. And this one came after essentially, I think, 13 months. Yeah. So they are averaging under a year, or even if we say it's an annual cycle. And one of the questions, one of the things that really bugged people, especially pros, was um, was their kind of erratic update cycle. Mm-hmm. And some of that's on Apple, and some of that's on Intel. But I feel like with two of these updates under their belts, I think I I do think pros can look at Apple's update cycle and say, like you said, every year or so, we're going to get a new one. And it might be, yeah, 13, 14 months. It might be nine months. But they seem to have, um, now, for two update cycles, shown their commitment to getting these updates out a little more timely, in a little more timely fashion, which I think is, I think is good. Um, I want to talk about the T2 briefly, but uh, before we do that, let me take a quick break to tell you about another sponsor on this edition of Upgrade. Uh, it's Pingdom. Pingdom is a company that offers uptime monitoring and web performance management. You may be more familiar with Pingdom than you actually realize because they are working every second of every day to keep your favorite sites online. Sites like Evernote and BuzzFeed and Netflix. If you Have you heard of Netflix? If you've used any of those sites recently and not run into trouble, did you notice that it worked? You just assume that, but you may have Pingdom to thank for that. Websites are super complicated and sophisticated. They've got a lot of different moving parts. There are contact forms, e-commerce checkouts, logins, search functionality, a whole lot more. Separate server separate systems to provide different portions of the website functionality. Uh, Pingdom will let you check the availability of all of them, not just your homepage, all of them. It's not just about getting a message when the whole site goes down, but when parts of it go down. If you run an e-commerce site, if the e-commerce portion, if the credit card transaction portion breaks, your site homepage may load fine, but you may be losing everybody as they check out. 
Pingdom can check that out for you and warn you when that part of it has broken. All they need to get started is the URL of the site you want to monitor. They will take care of all the rest. So here's what you do. Go to pingdom.com slash RelayFM. That's P-I-N-G-D-O-M dot com slash RelayFM. You'll get a 14-day free trial. You don't have to give them a credit card or anything. Try it out on your sites. And rest assured that Pingdom is watching to make sure that they're still up and running properly. When you sign up, use this code, UPGRADE, at checkout, and you'll get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom for keeping uh, Netflix and Evernote and BuzzFeed online and for supporting Upgrade and Relay FM. Okay, the T2, which debuted in yours and my iMac Pro, uh, is in these new MacBook Pros. Uh, and I wrote a piece in January that I, I told I told good old Roman at Macworld. I was like, you should you should link to that piece again. It's like it's 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 evergreen, and I link to it on six colors too, um, because the T2 is a really cool processor. It's an ARM processor. It's 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 running a it's sort of like a version of iOS called Boot OS uh, that's being used in the boot process. It's used for a bunch of security stuff. It's the disk controller. It's encrypting stuff on the fly. It's doing a whole bunch of stuff that traditionally was done by other parts of the Mac. Yeah, I mean, it's great. Apple can leverage their custom silicone team, not only for iOS devices, but using that same technology. This is basically what, like an, a, like an A10-ish processor yeah yeah it's an iphone processor basically that's inside every every macbook pro and imac pro and like repurpose that for these like very mac specific tasks and it's sort of cheesy but like that is one of the things that only apple can do because they have that expertise on hand and it's they are redefining kind of what a modern mac is you know if you look at the like the core like system architecture of the iMac Pro and MacBook Pro, it is now fundamentally different than previous and other Macs, and obviously much more secure and faster because they're doing crazy SSD stuff. And this is the way forward. Now, it comes with a cost. You know, these MacBook Pros, uh, the original Touch Bar machines were more than the previous ones, and people sort of wrote that off as, well, it's the T1 and the Touch Bar, and now we see it with the T2. Those prices are the same. So, you know, eventually I think we'll see this, like, trickle all the way down to whatever the consumer notebook looks like, the regular iMacs. But I do hope Apple can work to absorb that cost and not increase the price of every computer they sell by $300 to make this work. But, you know, having it in the iMac Pro now, I've had this machine, what, we've had these, like, six or seven months. Yep. Um, You never notice it. Uh, You can turn off the secure boot stuff if it gets in your way. And... You know, it's just it's just there doing its thing, and that's the best kind of technology that you know it's working hard for you, but you never have to think about it. That's that's what I want out of a, a workstation yeah. computer. You know, know what I mean? And it's a little bit silly on an iMac, uh, or at least it's a lot less useful on an iMac than on a MacBook Pro. The this idea that as the disk controller, it's also um, encrypting everything and it's basically encryption at no cost it does all of the encryption work on the fly which means that file vault basically is free it doesn't slow you down in any way apple recommends that everything be encrypted and that matters on 
a laptop, right? Where the laptop could walk away. And if it's entirely encrypted, nobody's going to get the data off of it. Plus, yeah. plus they do the striping where they've got like, it's literally just banks of RAM that are being used. And it's doing uh, all the, it's acting as the controller, which means it's able to sort of like uh, use both of the banks together and that increases the the throughput right. of of it. So it's it's got a performance story. It's got a security story on the storage side. Yeah, it's a little confusing that like so the hardware encryption is happening all the time. You can then turn on File Vault on top of that if you want. Apple I think recommends it for additional security. Yeah, and what it does but, is it changes the uh, it, it links it to your password. So gotcha. instead of it just being kind of like attached to, I think even though it's um even though it's on by default it's on based on uh data that's the identity of your laptop so that mm-hmm. like they could potentially get that information and decrypt it but when you turn on file vault it's tying it to your your password which means gotcha. that now you need all the hardware okay. id stuff and your password to get it to work right which is be- yeah that's i mean for a for a laptop that's what you want if you're working on anything sensitive because then the, they'll oh, never yeah. be able to read your your data yeah, I run File Vault and um, the uh, firmware password on my notebook, so you can't even boot it from an external drive without a password. In the iMac, I'm a little more lax. It's here in the office. Probably not going to go anywhere. But yeah, if you have a notebook, you're crazy not to turn that stuff on, even with the new hardware. Yeah. Like you said, this is an extra layer. And it works with, um, and with Mojave, it works even more this way, right? Because Mojave, <clears throat> you're going to have to ask permission for things like the microphone and the camera. But it's it's controlling the camera, the FaceTime camera. So there's a whole. Um, not only is it doing kind of like uh, exposure and white balance adjustment and stuff like that, but it, it's actually you have to ask permission to use it, which makes it theoretically much more secure because you you have to you don't the operating system doesn't have direct access to the micro or the camera. It has to go through mm-hmm. the T2, and then obviously the T2 is also running the Touch Bar, which it isn't in our iMacs, but it is on the on these laptops, and the Touch Bar you know continues to exist, and some people really like it. I actually think on a system that's designated for pros the touch bar is uh a there's a better use case there in some ways because so many of the pros are using these high-end apps where the touch bar as a sort of like extra control surface um you can you can at least make a a stronger case for it some people are never going to like the touch bar and that's fine but i think you can make a stronger case for it in you know high-end apps like final cut and logic that that are you know, able to do kind of wacky things and are super customizable, like Logic. I can tell you, if you've ever looked at the customizability on Logic for the touch bar, it's like you can literally do anything you want in terms of like putting buttons and controls on oh, the yeah. touch bar in Logic. It's 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 amazing. Yeah, if I do one of these, I'm looking forward to checking out to see how that's evolved. You know, I had a 2016, a key fell off of it and I made a scene in the Apple store and they repaired it for free and then I put it on eBay. But it's... um. The touch bar is a weird thing, right? Because it's still only on these machines. Um, I think your argument for it being for pros is interesting. I think there's a really interesting counter argument as well that maybe people like that don't necessarily use notebooks as notebooks all the time. They yeah. don't, you know, they're up to displays or they're like me where I'm so wired into keyboard shortcuts. I actually don't need anything else at this right. point or I find it distracting. There's, there's, uh, there's good arguments on both mm-hmm. sides, as some people have said. But um, 
I regret that immediately. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I mean, the touch bar is divisive. And I, I just I feel like if anybody's going to use a touch bar, it is a pro who's motivated to customize it or have it be some sort of wacky um, control surface that's doing something uh, complicated. I, 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 you know, I'm not sure they are using the touch bar either, but I could see scenarios there. Whereas the scenario for like a consumer using the touch bar is sort of like um, what it's sort of like. Uh, clippy in a touch bar <laughs> it's like yeah. you appear to be doing a thing touch the touch bar and i will help you do that thing and i'm not sure that is a strong an argument i don't know this is a um i think it's it's great news great news also at a time when there's not a lot going on other than us processing betas to talk about the some new mac hardware um and i feel like apple is being consistent with what they said a couple of years ago and last year mm-hmm. in terms of their behavior of like how they're training these systems. The challenge is that their current product line isn't consistent, right? There, there, there are pieces missing there. It's a work in progress. And this is, this part like kind of makes sense what they're doing here. And I understand why, and not that there aren't things to criticize, but kind of like, I get where I get where they're going. I would suspect that the next major like body revision, the major generational revision to these systems is probably going to react to the fact that people, that so many people um, have a hard time embracing them. I, I, I think on the four or five year time scale th- that uh, those generations go, they do have a chance to course correct. But if you accept the fact that they're not going to be doing major hardware revisions on the outside of these devices in this, de- in this um, generation, then I, I think what they're doing is a really interesting progression and it makes sense with what they've Mm. said these systems are supposed to be yeah agreed so speaking of betas by the way uh worth a check-in on the summer of betas part of the fun of the summer (laughs) summer of betas (laughs) (laughs) i want to check in with you about mojave because mike you know is going to be less excited about that uh mike's excited about ios 12 but i wanted to check in a little we're doing all the mac stuff today i told mike Steven's going to be on. We're going to talk about Mac stuff. And he's like, go for it. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, have you been spending time with Mojave? How's that been going? I have. I'm running it on an external SSD on my 2015 MacBook Pro. I feel like I'm getting pretty close to just booting from it. I've got one more work trip in about a week and a half. And I think after that, I'm going to be booting my notebook into it. Um, It seems pretty good. You know, I think... It's obviously fun to talk about dark mode. A bunch of people, including me, have written about it. But once you kind of get past that, Mojave does have some other interesting things. The additions to the Finder are, you know, talking about Apple focusing on pros. They feel like very pro features, you know, surfacing uh, automator workflows and scripting stuff in Finder with new buttons. Having that new sidebar where... For instance, you have a, a picture loaded in the Finder preview, and it shows sort of the metadata, the photo. It can do mm-hmm. different things depending on what you're looking at. That's all very pro-level stuff. And that, I think, is is an, is the other side of the story with the hardware of Apple focusing on you know, consumers. I think at this point, most people, you could use a Mac or an iPad and be totally fine. That's not true with pros, all pros yet. And... Apple, I think, is really spreading the good news that the Mac is for professionals. You know, if you're a professional Apple user, you're going to get a Mac because that's the way it is right now. And Mojave is is working to cater to those users more and more. Um, there's obviously stuff in there that's, you know, you could take it or leave it. 
Um, some of the, the desktop stacking and filtering stuff, it's not for me, but it's interesting that it's there. Um, but all in all, it feels like a pretty solid release. You know, I, I don't know. We're, we're so far beyond the, the years of each Mac OS release being a really big deal. But in our current era, Mojave feels like the biggest deal we've had in, in maybe three or four years, uh, you know, maybe dating back to like LCAP even. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I haven't spent enough time with it to tell you that it's bulletproof yet as far as a beta is concerned. But in my limited time with it, it's been, uh, it's been a positive thing, I think. Yeah, I am perilously close to cutting over too. Um, this is the point, and I've talked about it before on this podcast, but there is that point where you have to use it. And yeah. no amount of, I've got, you know, I've got an external drive with it installed that I can boot off of. I've got a laptop here that is a, a loaner from Apple that they sent when I was writing about the public beta. I did my big public beta review. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's running it and that's great but none of these is the system i sit at all day now the downside is if i sit at it all day and logic breaks or skype breaks or audio hijack breaks or something else that i use to do my job that's really bad but at the Mm -hmm. same time i can't write about it having not really really used it like at some point uh, when it comes time for release, I need to speak as somebody who's been living in it. So I think I'm close to that. And the way that works functionally is that I will install the beta on my existing I'll backup. <laughs> then I'll install the beta on my existing and then I'll take that external drive that's currently running the Mojave beta and I will install a pristine copy of High Sierra on it um, so that I've got a place to retreat to in case of emergency. Um, and a couple of years ago I had to use that a lot <laughs> last year. I didn't. So I can, we live in hope <laughs> that I'll be able to actually do my job running Mojave and it won't be a problem. But at some point I got to do it as dumb as it is in, in one way to have your production machine be running a beta OS. Um, that's the job we have you and I. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're going to review it. Yeah. Um, I'm going to review it. I think I'm kind of debating if it's one review or like, a a series of three or four kind of in-depth articles about the big features. I may change it up this year, but, uh, but yeah, it's part of the gig. And, you know, I think it's, it's interesting. Apple's clearly going to stay on this annual release cycle for Mac OS. We've been on it a long time now. And so I'm past the point of like kind of wishing that that wasn't the case. And so it's much more about, okay, what, what can they do? Uh, what can they do this year? And and of course, the the proper way to think about it is not that once Mojave ships, they start on ten fifteen. It's that some of these features span multiple years of work, and they land at one point or another. Um, but I think the most interesting story moving forward from a, probably in Mojave, but definitely after it, is going to be those apps coming over from ios mojave shows what four of them are like there's a lot of weird stuff there (laughs) you can kill a single process and bring down the whole like they kind of live in their own environment structurally within the os and if you bring that that environment down they all crash which is sort of hilarious but there there is clearly day one or before even before day one on these apps and it's going to be important i think to pay attention to how apple rolls them out how they change and evolve things like the the like the date picker and the home app has gotten a lot of grief because it, it's the carousel date picker from uh, iOS. Well, Apple could redo that or they may not. 
and you can't actually mix UI kit and app kit elements in these apps. They're all sort of iOS structured as far as the interface. And so are we on the cusp of the Mac looking like iOS a lot more mm. in three or four years? Like I just don't know. And so those are sort of the questions that I'm thinking about this summer and spending time with it and spending time with these apps and trying to provide some sort of thought process around where are we today and where's it going? I think the, um, on, on this past weekend's ATP episode, they talked about that, how, um, somebody, I don't know where, whether it was Guillaume Rambo or, or Steve Trotton Smith found out that like the build, I think it was Steve Trotton Smith found that the build numbers are the same across the OSs. So the, the suggestion there is that, is that these are basically the iOS apps and that part of what's going on here is, you know, the iOS apps run and they run as Mac apps too. And what I came away from that thinking was that's exciting because for this to work, it needs to be like that. For this to work, you need to be able to like do the work in your app and have it work this way on the Mac and this way on iOS. And this is not going to work if what this is, is a method to make like a copy of your app Mm -hmm. and then tweak it and have it run on the Mac. Like I think for this to be truly broadly successful, it needs to be as smooth a process from the iOS developer's standpoint as possible to, to not just to move it over, but to keep it updated. And so, yeah, I mean, it's logical. Like it's one app. <laughs> it's not, it's not, you, br- you don't break it off and then make the Mac version using tools that are special um, that make yeah. it easier. Like that, that is not, that does not seem to be the end goal here. And that's good. It shouldn't be. The goal here is not to let you do a fork for the Mac. The, the goal is you update your ios app and now it runs on the mac as a mac app that's mm-hmm. that's so we'll see how it goes because i too have gotten that um that, that uh what is it the ui kit server has crashed and like literally all yeah. of those apps just die at once and uh that is a you know very different kind of experience and it's a beta we are like you said it's not day zero it's like day minus 70 or whatever we got time but uh yeah, yeah i think it's fascinating and uh, it is the most interesting Mac OS uh, release in a long time. Um, speaking of Mac OS releases, by the way, mm. I think what would be fun here in the summer of fun is to do a draft. Do you agree? I'm, I'm are, you, are you scared for it? Okay. Cause, cause the good scared. news is we're going to draft versions of OS 10. Yes. Or Mac OS if you prefer, which I don't, but either way, uh, Mac OS 10, we'll call it. It covers all of the areas. You don't know how we spelled it. We just said it out loud, Mac OS X. Anyway, uh, we're going to do that. We're going to do a really quick draft, and we're going to do it right after I tell you about our third and final sponsor for this episode of Upgrade. It's Anchor. Anchor is the easiest way to start a podcast ever. You record a high-quality podcast. You can host unlimited episodes and distribute everywhere with just one click. It's completely free. The app has some of the most innovative features around. It's really an amazing app. You can get voice messages from your listeners and integrate them into the show, transcribe segments, turning them into videos. You can share, you can add audio transitions and background tracks, and there's detailed analytics so you can see how many people are checking out your show. They just rolled out the ability to record with up to seven friends anywhere in the world. So for group podcasting, the audio quality is very good. You get high bitrate stereo sound. Your episodes will sound really great and for all you people on the ipad the ipad app is amazing easy editing tools multitasking support and the ability to drag in audio from other apps steven i believe you 
do a podcast with Anchor. I do. So I do a show called Subnet. Uh, it's a daily tech like headlines, just a couple of minutes, three stories. And I post it on Anchor because it lets me get it out on the Amazon Echo and Google Home devices. So you can set those up and you can hear me read you the news uh, five days a week as you make your coffee in the morning. Thanks to Anchor. Yeah, it's cool. So go to anchor.fm slash upgrade and find out much more about what Anchor can do for your new podcast. And if you sign up there, your show could be featured by us in a future ad. Oh, that's interesting. Anchor.fm slash upgrade. Go there now. Start your podcasting journey today. Thank you, Anchor, for supporting this show and giving aspiring podcasters an easy way to get started. And also, Stephen. Yes. Uh, okay. I am the host of this episode, so therefore, I'm going to let you go first. We're going to draft six, three each, OS ten versions from the catalog of, by my count, 17 different possible OS mm-hmm. 10 versions. Uh, so tell me, what's your first pick in the OS 10 draft and why? My first pick is 10.2 Jaguar. And that may not seem like an obvious pick because you think, well, that's like, you know, a later release. It's not the first first one, but it's the first one that was sort of usable. Um, it was stable. It was much faster than the first two versions. Uh, it was the first version I used on a regular basis, so there's some nostalgia in this one. But most importantly, Jaguar was the the OS that introduced a lot of system apps to Mac OS X. So iBook, iCal, Safari, iChat, some apps you may have heard of, they all got their start on 10.2. And uh, it made like file browsing to Windows, a bunch of stuff better. But those core apps that we think of as like at the heart of OS X, weren't there until 10.2. And I think that's uh, that's a pretty big win for this release. Yeah, it's good. I, I have a different one that I think of as the first usable version. I should say, what are our qualifications, by the way? Both of us have the ability to run and have installed somewhere near, our, near us right now every version of yes. OS X. We, we, have, we have old computers, you and I. I actually I went have, out and bought some old computers so I could do this. I know. Who would do that? I actually uh, have been. I'll, I'll just have a little. I'll share a little news here in the middle of our draft. I've been working on a project to do extensive screenshots of every version of Mac OS X. I've been working on it since the end of last year. It's almost done, and so I have run all of these mm-hmm. in the last six months or so. So I have spent lots of time with them. You've been witnessing and, the evolution uh, of Mac OS X and fast forward. Yes, yeah, fifteen years of history in six months. That's pretty cool. Also, it's a lot of brush metal, man. It's a lot of brush uh, yeah. Metal. I think the number one thing that I like about about Jaguar is that um, Steve Jobs always pronounced it Jaguar. Yeah, it's weird, right? Yeah. How, how did you, how did you end up with that? I don't know. I don't. Know. I had a I had a uh, a boss who did the same thing. I thought it's like that's that's weird. There's no, that's not how you say that word, but people do. I know that the Jaguar like car company. It's like Jaguar. Or something yeah. like that. But we nobody there- called it Mac OS 10, 10.2 Jaguar. Probably not. I'm going to pick um, 10.8 Mountain Lion. Ooh. Ooh. Mountain Lion. Um, so a couple reasons. One is the line broke a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Line was weird. <laughs> um, yeah. And as a, a podcaster, I will tell you, they completely overhauled the um, the sound subsystem in 10.7 and broke everything. Like everything like we at macworld i believe when i left macworld we still had our podcast room imac running 10.6 
snow leopard wow. because lion broke everything we used and if if it wasn't that we had just updated it and i think there was still a bootable 106 it was it was not good so mountain lion fixed not everything that lion broke but a lot of stuff that lion broke got addressed but my my number one reason for picking it is uh it's a little bit personal which is this was the surprise os release Yes, I got called by Apple PR to come for a Mac-related briefing at Cupertino, and I walked in, and they said, so we're releasing um, OS X Mountain Lion next week. <laughs> I'm like, Surprise. what? And I, for, for those of us who are now on the, the annual update wagon, right, where it gets announced at WWDC, it ships in the fall, there were no rumors that there was a full-on new version of OS X coming. Mm-mm. And it, and this happened in like June or July. It was not it was not tied to WWDC. Um, nobody talked about it. And then, boom! They didn't again. They didn't announce it. They shipped it. They shipped it. <laughs> um, and so I walked into that. That that is the biggest surprise because like even the iPod, there was a rumor that Apple was doing an MP3 player. We we had an idea. The biggest surprise I've ever gotten in an Apple product briefing where I walked in and they said, yeah, we have a new version of OS 10. It's shipping next week and you're under embargo. Um, and I'm also proud to say <laughs> um, nobody blew the embargo. I think there was a, a story that mentioned there might be a new version of OS 10 coming the night before. And it was like a one liner in a larger column, but basically it didn't leak. And that led to a very funny moment when um, people didn't believe me. <laughs> I posted my story and I tweeted saying, you know, um, OS 10 mountain lion is coming out and here's my full review. And people are like, this is a joke, right? <laughs> I'm like, no. And then, you know, nope. Jim Dalrymple's posted and, and, yeah. uh, you know, all these other people posted theirs. And then that was the moment where we're like, oh yeah. MG Siegler, who I actually ran into coming out of my briefing <laughs> and, and he and I shared, shared a look that I will remember forever, which is like, what just happened <laughs> like neither of us could yeah. believe that they had managed to sneak this one by so not only was mountain lion a, a nice uh let's update stuff let's fix a lot of bugs kind of midpoint release that tend to be the favorites because they focus a little bit more on the on uh on not taking big steps but instead sort of just getting everything to work right but that right. was the that was the surprise release surprise brand new version of os 10 you didn't even know it was here now it's here it it was high on my list for those reasons. It also brought notification center and messages. Um, so it, again, it was a release yeah. that sort of added things that we now just view as like core tenets of the OS. My my review of it referred to iOS apps coming to the Mac in a very uh, different way than in Mojave. Yeah, notes, <laughs> reminders, some other stuff. Yeah. So yeah, that's it was, a good pick, Jason. It, it, that's good. There was a lot of um, oh yeah, all our all our Mac users use iOS. We should probably get those things in sync. There's a lot of that yeah. in there too. Yeah. What do you a lot have? Lots of linen though. Lots of linen. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with the crowd favorite because I'm a man of the people and I'm going to pick Snow Leopard. Yay. Which I'm shocked has taken this long. It was really only two um, picks. <laughs> and I almost picked yeah. it. It's, it's really your own fault for picking Jaguar instead of Snow Leopard first. It should have gone first. I know. Yeah. I wanted to throw you, throw you a right hook at the beginning. Yeah. I mean, it's not the right. What, what more can you say, right? It is, I think, by far people's most favorite version of macOS. I'm not sure that's completely earned. It wasn't as bug free as people remember it being. 
Uh, but of course, if it's it's famous for no new features, that really wasn't true because it included Exchange support, included lots of under the hood stuff. So OpenCL, we counted it was it was it was either more than one hundred or more than two hundred new features if you counted yeah. it. So despite the no new features thing that they said, it actually was massive in terms of the stuff they added. But it wasn't. It was a bunch of like little stuff mostly, and then sort of tinkering. It was not mm-hmm. not quite as focused on like a big marketing feature, right? It was also notable because the first release that dropped PowerPC support. So Snow Leopard was much, was much smaller in terms of disk space from Leopard. That's because they got rid of all the PowerPC stuff, but also they did some file system encryption stuff for the first time. So kind of layering in some stuff that's now really core to the the underpinnings of macOS. But you know, everybody, everyone loves Snow Leopard, right? Like. People get excited about Grand Central Dispatch or whatever, but people love Snow Leopard. You gotta you gotta put it in the draft. Yeah. No, I think I think you're playing to the crowd and well done. Yeah. Um I can hear the applause from here. Yeah, yeah. You may be <laughs> maybe there's a parade moving along outside your house. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm going to counter your Jaguar with ten one Puma. Because I feel like this was the one we we spent several years writing about OS ten as this kind of theoretical construct. Rhapsody, the public beta, and yeah. even the ten ten O beta, or the ten O, which was basically a beta. And it was slow. It was not something it was the thing you installed on a separate partition and booted into and said, Oh yeah, this'll be the future, and mm-hmm. then went back to classic because mm-hmm. it was just not any good. And then 10.1 came out, and I remember distinctly, because I, I wrote the, this is the first OS ten that I wrote the, um, I wrote the big article in Macworld about. The 10.0, I edited it, but um, there was a different writer, and the 10.1, I wrote it. And I remember sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, you can use this. Now, which is not to say that 10.2 wasn't way more usable and faster. And, and those early days of OS ten, every release was faster for a while. <laughs> It's kind of amazing when you think about it. Now that we think about OSs, they get older and they get slower unless you've got new hardware. But these were faster on existing hardware uh, because right. they kept optimizing them. But 10.1 well, I mean, was the one where 10 I was like... 10.0 is pretty slow. 10.0 is, is, is amazingly slow. So 10.1 was like, I think people could actually use this now. Um, in my article, I actually say, this is what we've been waiting for. It's more reliable, it's faster, the interface is better, and it's actually got more software on it than than, mm-hmm. than 10.0. So what I said back then in 2001 was the first version of OS 10 that's truly ready for general use. And I, I, will, uh, I will stand by it, although I will point out the very next sentence is, although it's still not a feature-for-feature match for OS 9, because <laughs> uh-huh. it, it's still missing things right. that... Um, but but it's a it, but it was a what i said back in 2001 was it's no longer a step backward it was more of a sidestep where there were the new things you got for using os 10 but some of the other stuff you had to leave behind but um and and i will say in uh proof that some things never change apple's line about 10.1 was it's all about performance <laughs> I'll say this one thing I don't think you mentioned it was free it was free if you it, if you own 10 it, 10 0, it was the it initial because this is in the era where where OS updates cost like cost 50 or 60 bucks 100 bucks whatever it was right yeah I mean Apple charged 129 dollars for the majority of yeah. OS life how about that it's hard to believe now again but that there it was um and this one was free and I believe this is the first one that we referred to as the apology update where yep. it was like 10 0 was so bad and you had to pay yeah. for it. 
I mean, and again, it was the future. Of course, it was bad because it was new and they were really struggling, but it was not, like I said, it was more of a curiosity and like what the future was going to be. And mm-hmm. so Apple in being very considerate, I think said, if you already bought 10 you get 10 one, like they, you didn't, you didn't, you could, uh, I don't know if you could download it, but there was a package that was basically like the free upgrade from 10 Yeah. I've got it. Yeah, on my I bookcase. think I've got a couple of those. Um, <laughs> it didn't even come in a full box. So no, it's, it's like, like a little a envelope sleeve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that there is that too. That it was free, but the reason it was free is that really they're like, no, 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 stop using yeah. 10o. We're sorry. Here's 10o. Right. Well, the, they ha- you you have a very limited window to make a good impression of your of your new OS that you've been talking about for four years, and 10o didn't fulfill those promises. 10.1, I think, was them trying to um, bring people bring people on board a little bit more. Uh, I'm going to go with my last pick. I'm going to go something a little more modern, but weird. I'm going to go with 10.10 Yosemite. Huh. Brought, obviously, a new user interface, so it was the end of sort of uh, the really, like, lickable aqua that had been downplayed <laughs> over the years, but you look at 10.9 Mavericks and 10.10 Yosemite, they're, they're very different. 10.10 is flat. It also holds the title of the only release of Mac OS X to use Helvetica as the system font, which, boy, is it weird looking. Uh, now we're used to San Francisco, which they did just a year later, but uh, there's it's strange to see Helvetica everywhere. I kind of like it, but it's the only one, and I think that, that makes it special. Um, it also brought continuity to the Mac, so you know, moving things back and forth between your iPhone and your Mac more fluidly. It brought the Photos app, so replaced iPhoto with Photos, which also brought Apple's photo management app into the system. iPhoto was, for a long time, uh, a separate purchase through iLife and then sort of individually on the App Store, and it was free if you bought a new Mac, but Photos is part of the core OS, so it brought photo management into the OS really for the first time. And it brought, with that new design, it brought sort of what we now call baby dark mode, where the dock and the menu <laughs> bar and things like Spotlight would be would be dark. Not at all what we see in Mojave, of course, but um, a, a, a big, perhaps the biggest visual overhaul Mac OS X has ever seen. The rest of it was sort of a slow evolution, you know, dropping brush metal, dropping the pinstripes, going all, all gray. But Yosemite was a big break, and one... And it, we're still in that era, and uh, I think that I think that makes it worth um, worth a, a draft pick over some of the others. That's nice. That's a good one. Um, for my last pick and the last pick of this little mini draft, you know, if I hadn't picked Puma, I would go back to the old days because I I feel nostalgic about the public beta. It was so weird, and yet at the same time, that was the moment with the public beta. That was the moment where Apple was saying here's the future of the Mac. And and, mm-hmm. and it has proven out to be, yes, that, li- like, for two decades, this is it. <laughs> this is the Mac. The, it has now eclipsed the classic Mac OS in terms of being kind of, like, out in the world, the primary Mac OS. So I, I, I thought really hard about picking it, but but I think Puma it has gotten me covered on that end. So I'm going to go on the other end, and I'm just going to be a shameless uh, crowd pleaser and say, Mojave. I think Mojave, as we've talked about in a few different places, is the first time in a long time where 
it feels like Apple is really putting some effort into uh, its conception of what the Mac is going to be today and going forward. And I think there are a bunch of features in it that are really interesting, including the UI overhaul for dark mode, but a lot more beyond that that are interesting in and of themselves. And then the running iOS apps on the Mac, um, even if it's just those four apps, like it points the direction for the future. And it is a, a huge, not just a huge step for the Mac, but it's a very large investment in Apple's software development for the Mac. And as a Mac user, the last few years, it's been like, eh, you know, it continues to be a product in their lineup, but they are making an effort because this is Apple saying, no, the Mac is important. It's important for pro users and it's important for kind of their long-term computing strategy in some way. How do they fit the Mac and iOS together without necessarily merging them together, but how do they fit together so that five years out, it makes sense. Something that kind of doesn't make sense now, which is, hi, we're a company that has two totally different operating systems. So that's a bit, that's a big deal. So I think in the end, Mojave will be proven to be kind of like the branching off point. Although if I really wanted to pick like how history views like major OS updates, I should probably pick 1015 (laughs) because that's the one where it opens the floodgates. But for (laughs) now, you have a name (laughs) for now, 1014. Well, it'll be Joshua tree. I think 1015 Joshua tree, but 1014 Mm -hmm. Mojave. That's the last pick. Uh, That's great. I think, I think that all makes all makes sense. Uh, do you have any runners up that you were disappointed you can squeeze in? Uh, no, no, I mean, public beta is the one that was my runner up that, that I had on my list and, uh, and I thought about just because that is the start of it all in, in a lot of ways. Like the first thing that really felt like OS 10 or the Rhapsody stuff um, didn't. It was basically next step. Yeah. 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 But public beta was like, yeah, okay, here we are. We, we've, although the, public beta, public beta still had the Apple logo in the middle of the menu bar that didn't do anything, right? Uh, no, that was just Rhapsody, th- or was that the public? I think data? no. I think it was a developer preview, maybe. Oh, the, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Okay. John Syracuse is already is already yelling yeah, at us okay. in Slack. Yeah. Okay. Uh, my only one that I didn't get in uh, would have been Ten Three Panther. I think for the same reason I picked Jaguar, that a lot of like core stuff that we think about being OS Ten uh, was present in Panther. Fast user switching, Expose, File Vault, um, the sidebar in Finder, Finder in. 10 one and two is really weird because uh, you don't have the sidebar you know where you could like see your home folder and stuff you know the way we think about the finder now they introduced that as saying hey we have the sidebar in itunes a playlist we just ported that to finder and it made a lot of sense and it sort of put the user at the center of the computer and not the local hard drive at the center of the computer when mm-hmm. you went to navigate for stuff so panther i think is my runner-up but I think this is good. This was a lot of fun. I was very excited when you suggested this for this episode. Yeah, no, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, this is summer do it. fun. It is the summer, summer fun. fun. This is this is why we do fun things. We do fun things mm-hmm. all year round, but in the summer, they're the summer of fun. That's it. It's more fun. Uh, Want to do some uh, ask upgrade quickly before we go? Yes. Those are you got your lasers run at a different frequency than my lasers, but I, yeah. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. It's like laser pellets. All right, um, really? listener Jason. Upgrading and Jason, what? who is not me, says face hmm. ID on iPad means iOS 12 is definitely going to have support for multiple faces. It doesn't make make sense otherwise, right? Uh, I don't I don't see where how you got from A to B. Yeah, I <laughs> I, I agree. I think I think the suggestion there is that uh, on iPad, I, iPad is more of a multiple user device. Although Apple has not proven that since they 
even you know they don't let regular people use a multiple user feature on ipad and the one on schools is kind of super weird and janky uh for school use um the ios 12 beta has this additional appearance kind of thing for faces and i i think that is their way of letting you get multiple faces in there in some way but i think that's probably it unless there's like a an announcement that goes on with like new hardware that says uh we're explicitly going to support multiple faces on new hardware Uh, and i think that only makes sense like i don't really think the ipad's multiple user like people use it that way but it's not uh, what i want to see is true multi-user support for everybody and think you know hold my breath for a while longer i think yeah i actually checked slack to see if john syracuse had already uh complained to us now he's got a job he's yeah working. he's not listening to us now he'll complain later but it's like the developer preview yeah that would have been a good one too um listener chris wrote in to say how do you pocket your phone bottom up or down screen facing toward or away from Ooh, your leg that's good uh i've been very consistent with this it's my front right pocket with nothing else in it and it is uh bottom down so notch first on the iphone 10 and screen facing the leg notch first Even is bottom, the iphone notch first is bottom up yeah wait you said wait, bottom down uh, bottom the top goes in first. Yes. This is very confusing notch, notch to think down. about. Notch down. No, notch down. And f- in your right pocket and the screen is facing your leg? Yes. Even though in the iPhone 10 it's more expensive to break the back than the front, uh, <laughs> f- screen in feels much better to my mind. So That's a good point. I hadn't, I hadn't even thought of that. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, for me it's a left pocket and it is uh, notch down uh, and the screen facing my leg. So that if, yeah. uh, if, it, if there's some cataclysm that hits my leg um it'll hit the back of my phone but yeah yeah and that way then i reach in with my left hand and and pick it up and i got my Mm. phone good question though uh daniel wants to know will apple be able to fix the macbook keyboards without the seemingly essential step of making the devices thicker haven't they painted themselves into a thinness corner could they (laughs) could they stomach thicker macbook pros i mean i think this may have come in before the the announcement but um i i think there's a truth in this right which is if they wanted to do something truly different they would need to redesign the case and they may do that um in terms i mean the macbook air is pretty thin and it's got more key travel so like if they wanted to introduce more key travel I am confident that the that the wizards at Apple could do that, but they won't do it in the existing hardware generation because I think there's just that's way too complex to tweak something that major and keep everything else the same. At that point, you're just redesigning the entire case. And so I think if it happens at all, it would have to happen a year or two out when they do a new hardware generation. Uh, agreed. I totally agree. Okay. Uh, Zach wants to know. A serious post-wedding question. Who was the Apple-related tech podcast designated Mm. survivor who was not in London? In case of a a disaster in London, who did we designate to to carry on for us? And I I was thinking about it. It's like, uh, like, you know, there's a bunch. Like Grouper, I guess. uh, Dan Morin. um, uh, Merlin. (laughs) Uh, There's, you know, there's lots of of podcasters out there who aren't aren't the entire uh, cast of Relay who was there. Yeah, Mike doesn't. Ho- Mike doesn't co-host a podcast with everybody. 
It would have been fine. Just most people. Yeah. No. ATP would have been gone though. ATP no would have been eradicated. It's true. Yeah. An upgrade and a bunch of the relay podcasts, but there are many look accidentally terminated podcasts. Yeah. Um, I was going to say to take a page from the Marvel movies, uh, cut off uh, one podcaster and two will uh, take its place so don't don't worry about it there's mm. always more podcasters it's very messy but it is how it works yeah that's totally how it works uh don't try this at home pat wants to know do you think apple would ever consider making a compact iphone in the spirit of the old candy bar sized phones possibly running a, a beefed up version of watch os not the iphone se something even smaller and simpler at the two, 199 to 249 price point no <laughs> I don't think Apple cares about that market. You know, there's yeah. a report out today that they're like bleeding money in India. I just don't think, I don't think yeah. this is a product they want to make. I, I, uh, I agree with you. I think that, I think that's the, that's the simple version of that is I have a hard time seeing Apple investing a lot of money and creating almost a different platform just to make a $200 phone. I think they would rather try to sell the iPhone from three years ago in those markets or something like the SE. And I don't, I don't think they want to go below that. The same reason, this is by the way, the exact same reason why I don't think Apple will make a $400 laptop running Mac OS because they're not interested in that market. They're just, they're never going to do that. It's why there's also not going to be a $99 iPad. Not interested. Yeah. Just that's not the, that's not Apple's business model. Mm -hmm. Corey wants to know, will we see USB-C on iPhones and iPads? That's interesting. I mean, uh, I think there was some speculation that the USB-C, like the female port and all the kind of the stuff, the structure around it is thicker than what they, what lightning requires. And we all know Apple likes thinness. I don't know what USB-C gives them that lightning doesn't because you can do fast charging over lightning. You can do USB three transfers over lightning um, and the downside is you have to live through another port transition. And those of us who are around during the dock connector to lightning switch, we all have scars from that because everyone freaked out. And I don't think Apple wants to do that again. And so I don't know what it gets them. And there's a big downside. So I think I think they're fine with lightning. Yeah. What, what do you think? I think that's true. I, I think, I mean, we're. it sounds like the rumors are we're going to see a USB-C transition on the charging end this time, which is fine. Um, because you can put more power through that cable and they're going to have a bigger adapter and it's great. That's fine. On the other, other side. Yeah. I don't see it either. Like Apple went to all the trouble. Apple knew USB-C was coming and they went to all the trouble of making lightning. I'm not sure if they had known, um, and didn't do anything like I, I, it would seem like a really weird sidestep for them to now move and lightning serves their purposes better on those devices than USB-C. Yep. That said, I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there again, wearing my hat as, um, so sorry, this is going to make you feel like you're unconnected for a minute. Where, wearing my hat as mm. an iPad person. Oh yeah. Um, I think the iPad pro needs USB-C needs should get USB-C because I think part of the transition in the iPad Pro to truly being a kind of like professional level device over time, maybe not this year, but sometime is have a little bit better USB device support. And that has to be in the OS and then have a USB port. And like, it's Mm. like a computer because there's stuff that uses USB and you know, it would be like, Oh, you don't need to buy a dongle for that. It's just got a USB-C on it. Do I think that will actually happen? No, I don't. I think uh, the best we could hope for is that there will be a little, a little dongle that will continue to be a USB three lightning dongle. Um, It would be nice if maybe, you know, it would be nice if they didn't, it would be nice if they, they said, yeah, it really is a computer. It even has a USB port. But the problem with that is that that actually requires a major, um, 
iOS update to support more USB devices than they currently support. But, you know, some of it's already there. They could do more. And I would like to see it on that side. But I think that's the only place in iOS that you would likely see it is if they made either an iPad Pro with a USB port or if they made an iOS laptop at some point, that iBook, mythical iBook, that would be, again, a place where you might see a USB-C port. But that's about it. Yeah, I can I can go with that. Uh, Bosi wants to know, to wrap us up, how's Mike handling England's World Cup loss to Croatia? I mean, he's not even here. <laughs> He's so torn up about it. Yeah. I don't think Mike cares. He does. He, Mike literally, you know, there are two kinds of nerds in our, our community. The ones who care about sports or sport and the ones who don't. And Mike is firmly in the ones who don't to the point where I'll put it this way. Mike and Adina's wedding reception. We mentioned this last week was on. It happened during England's World Cup match with Sweden and the venue for the reception said we could put a TV somewhere if people really want to watch England. And first, Mike is thinking, well, most of the people here are from, not all, but many of the people, like what, 80% of the people at the wedding, 90% of the people at the wedding are either um, Americans or Romanians. So they don't care. (laughs) Very few Swedes, some English people. And then second, he didn't want that to become the center of attention of his wedding reception. So those of us who cared were like checking our phones. And But this is my point is... Um, if my wedding reception was happening during a World Series game featuring my favorite team, there would be a TV. <laughs> but Mike was not. Just I think he made the right call, but it also was because he just doesn't care. And that's fine. I think that was the right call regardless, but it made easier by the fact that he didn't care. Well, that is all of Ask Upgrade. Stephen Hackett, Thank you so much for joining me as my special guest in the summer of fun while Mike is off splish splashing around in his own uh, honeymoon uh, in a yeah, tropical location. It was fun. Yeah. I can't believe it's taken almost four years for us to do an upgrade together. Yeah. Well, you know, it was at the beginning, it was like, um, well, I could always use Steven as the guest host, but it was like, oh, but what if I got Merlin? What if I got Serenity? What if I got John Syracuse? And I thought, you know, the result of that is that I've never had you as the guest host on Upgrade. So I thought this would be a good time. We also do other podcasts together. We should point we out, we do Lift Off every other week about space and related subjects. And you should listen to it because you don't have to be a rocket scientist to care about what goes on in space. Uh, we care, and we're not rocket scientists. And then we, every week we do uh, we do download together. That is uh, sort of put out there as download with, with me, but Stephen is the producer of download and appears on almost every episode and will sometimes jump in, but also helps put it together, which is part of the, the subnet plan as well, because you're watching the headlines for subnet and also for download, mm-hmm. and we, it all kind of goes together. So, so it's not like we don't talk, but, but not on, on Upgrade. It took, it took us 202 episodes to get there. So thank you. Well, uh, I'll be glad to be back anytime. Well, we'll have to have you back and before episode 404, hopefully. <laughs> that, that, there you go. Episode 404, file not found anyway. Cannot anyway, be found. So next week, the Summer of Fun rolls on. Yes, indeed. Summer of Summer Fun, of fun rolls, on! rolls on! With... A surprise guest or two. I will tell you, it is two surprise guests. Plus, coming in live from his honeymoon, not true, pre-taped, Mike Hurley as well. And we have a great episode that we recorded a few weeks ago about iPad and iPad productivity and iOS 12 on the iPad and a whole bunch of other stuff like that. Great guest. You're going to love it. That'll be next week. 
Um, and I want to thank our sponsors because Mike always does that because he's very nice. MailRoute, Pingdom, and Anchor. And until next week, say goodbye, Stephen Hackett. Adios. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.